This is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, and it's episode 44. Monday, March 27th, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Today, Blaine Disrude, research analyst, welcome. Hi, Danny. Jason Cooper, research analyst, welcome to you. Hey, Danny. What do you guys got? Quite a bit this week. Going over upcoming data, manufacturing numbers are going to come out for Dallas and Richmond Fed Index. We also have housing, uh, pending home sales, which... We'll also get the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, so we'll see where home prices have gone. And given the fact that mortgage rates really haven't come down with treasuries through the last month, um, that number is expected to come in a bit soft for, for home sales. And then employment, we have initial claims, and you'll likely see a slight uptick there. Uh, we've had, over the course of the last couple quarters, a lot of announcements of layoffs, and those are going to finally start trickling into the, the unemployment claims. And then inflation, we'll get PCE data, so that'll be an important one, given the fact that we just had a rate hike last week, so we'll see where that goes. And then uh, the confidence numbers for the Michigan Consumer Confidence Index for the Michigan survey. Just for reference points, the number's supposed to come in around 63, which is quite a depressed number going back over the last couple decades. Um, that's similar to the numbers that you saw in 08 and 09, and typically it, tr- it tracks around 80 to 90. So consumer confidence is still down there. Inflation obviously is a factor of that, as is some of the economic data that we've seen over the past couple months. With that, we'll get into our, our SWOT analysis here. Jason, what do you got for strengths? So starting with the economy, when you look at data via the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index, that's rising, and it kind of just indicates that the data that is coming in is beating analyst estimates. So Blaine was talking about consumer confidence. You might have a reading that's historically low in the 60 region, but it comes in at maybe 65 versus an analyst estimate of 62. And that's getting at the point where we got the idea of, okay, these rate increases that we're getting from the Fed, we need more. Where you know all these economic surprises that we've had, the data's coming in stronger than expected. Inflation's coming in a bit hotter than expected here and there. I think that's what kind of fueled the discussion around the Fed's got to keep hiking rates. Obviously, what we had in the banking sector kind of washed some of that away. But from your the observations here is like the data has been coming in stronger than expected, and that's kind of been a theme over the last year. And, and then you know markets price based on actual. So even when you think about a company reporting, when you beat estimates, you tend to see you know the stock price react positively. So what we see with the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index, the fact that it's been strong relative to what analysts were estimating has been strong for the overall markets. And, and you can see that specifically with you know something like the NASDAQ, which is up more than 15% year to date. And the spread between the NASDAQ, which was beaten down last year, and something like the Dow 30 or the Russell 2000, which is more small caps, you know, NASDAQ up 15%, and on a spread basis relative to small cap stocks, it's outperforming by almost 20%. I thought I misheard you the first time, but there is a surprise index? Yes, there, the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index. Of course there is. Yeah, yeah, it goes back quite a ways. Uh, you can look it up. As long as uh, Citigroup continues to do that survey. They also have them for Europe, too. And with all of the fires in Paris, you'd think that it would be negative, but I believe it's positive. So fire, positive surprise. 
What's interesting is so we've had those economic surprises, but then the banking situation, banking collapse uh, with SVB and some of the others, and Treasuries just caught a massive bid. And they have been outperforming on a broad asset class basis, outperforming a lot of assets year to date. Um, and the long end of the curve specifically as and the short end. I mean, Jason, I know you had some points here, so if you want to hit on some of those, we can kind of go through those. I mean, you could steal my point because I was just going to steal it from our CIO, Derek Felsky. He, he highlighted that the three-day move in two-year treasuries was a once in 50 million year event. And you hear about these statistically significant, you know, seven plus sigma moves. And you're always like, wow, well, all these 50 million years events tend to happen relatively frequently. Uh, I feel like I've caught a lot of them in my lifetime. And it's because the market, you know, from a probabilistic perspective, it's not normally distributed. You tend to have a narrowing within the middle range and then these gigantic fat tails. And unfortunately, a lot of that fatness comes on the left side, which is why when you're thinking about investing, you need to really think about it with a risk-first mentality. Yeah, some kurtosis in there, <laughs> throw in the term. With that, it, it gets to the point where you have rational expectations and efficient economy, efficient markets, etc. But then you have these events and it's, okay, There, there's things that get missed and observations that get missed and it creates opportunities and that's why we go through these analysis. And this is one of those where if you were able to know what was happening in the banking industry and see some of that or, or understand, okay, the Fed's hiking rates, it, it creates these th areas where you're going to have these massive strengths pop out. And if you're able to, you can work towards taking on those opportunities and, and being rewarded for that. Then another strength in general, it's, it's weird to say, but monetary policy, you have quantitative tightening to a degree being offset by just tremendous liquidity injections. When you look at the central bank's balance sheet, it expanded by $400 billion in the last two weeks. It's only $200 billion off its peak. It just seems like the Fed is unable to fully pull liquidity out of the system, and historically that supported asset prices. I know Blaine has a different view on this, so what do you think about that? I do. So you had the Fed react to the inflation that we saw. They jacked rates up as fast as they did, and now we're starting to finally see some of the repercussions of that. And so going into this, they had to change course essentially start pumping liquidity back in but it's a there's a discount to that that liquidity that they injected they're essentially offering banks give us your held to maturity assets assets that have long duration on them we'll give you full par value on it and for that you have to pay us the discount rate which is 10 basis points over the Fed funds rate, so above 5%. So they're, the Fed is getting compensated for opening up this discount window. It's not that they're just giving these banks ample liquidity just to just to have for free. It, there is a cost to it. So it helps keep banks solvent, but not necessarily just fully inject liquidity right into the system directly. So there's a bit of a discount to that. So then speaking about banks, why don't we turn to weaknesses? Blaine, you want to kick us off there? Yeah, we really didn't see much of a bounce in the regionals. Um, the, the regional banking ETF last week was essentially flat, right? Yeah. And I mean, prior to that, you had a 20% pullback in in that ETF. So the, the regional banking sector is definitely not caught a bounce and it's, they're struggling to figure out where the deposits are, where the loan book is, and where that liquidity for those banks and the solvency of those banks is, is situated right now. And it's it's a challenge to go through all the books and look at how all those banks are situated, but that's essentially one of the weaknesses that we've had over the last month. 
And part of that's been exacerbated by the mixed messages from Powell and Yellen. So you had Yellen effectively backpedaling on a rumor that there would be widespread FDIC insurance, removed an endorsement of the banking system from one of her speeches. I mean, why? <laughs> and <laughs> why would you do that in this situation? And then you have Powell, and he indicated that the market pricing rate cuts you know, through the back half of the year was just completely uh, incorrect and that we'll see rates at year end above 5%. Yeah, you pretty much have the market and the Fed playing chicken again. One, the Fed's kind of pricing in a put for the from the Fed, and Powell's more or less saying it's not going to happen. So don't don't do that. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. But definite back and forth there between the market and the Fed right now. Uh, and then, given the fact that we've had all this happening in the banking system, had the rate hike last week, the volatility index of fixed income, which is the essentially the move index has blown through the 150 mark, which typically, according to Harley Bassman, is a level at which credit becomes constricted and instability starts to rise. And you already see in the credit space, you know, there, there looks like there are some signs of there being sand in the gears. We say always that credit is effectively the lifeblood of the economy. It allows things to flow. It's almost like a lubricant within a machine. And looking at the new debt issuance for, for this year, high yield debt is the lowest it's been since 2016, mostly due to March deals just effectively getting shelved. And I, Blaine, you've done a lot of work there. So what are you saying? Yeah, so January and February saw $16 billion in new debt, which is a healthy flow. Uh, and then March, from like the first week of March on, like no new debt in the high yield space has been issued. Everyone has shelved their deals. They, they're waiting because one day you might have spreads compress like 20 to 50 basis points. We've seen that in the high yield space, which is a lot. And then the, the next day they expand. So if you're going to issue debt and you have a bad day where spreads widen, your cost of capital just skyrocketed to a point where if I'm a CFO and I'm trying to capitalize a new project and get capital for that project, my, my cost of that capital is swinging wildly. And as a prudent move, I'm going to just wait until I know, okay, I can pencil this number in as my cost of capital going forward uh, and essentially just hold off. And that's what you've seen over the last few weeks. So then you go back to what we were talking about with the move index. Harley Bassman saying you're effectively in a potential area of credit being systemically important. That volatility has ramifications on the real economy. It's not just something that we experience in financial markets. It leads to the inability of capital investment and you know, that, that means slower growth on a go-forward basis. Yeah, and we saw a similar thing happen with the investment grade, too. You had a whole week of no issuance from the investment grade debts, debt area, and that hasn't happened for over a decade. So, again, we're, we're seeing similar ramifications across the whole spectrum of corporate debt, which is not great. And then not to cry Cassandra, but we've been monitoring credit default swaps on certain banks, and those are trending higher now. For reference, Credit Suisse, you can look at their CDSs last year, and it was a slow, steady march higher before they were ultimately, do you want to say acquired, forcibly acquired? The government of Switzerland came in and basically told, you know, UBS, I've, I've got a gift for you, Some, they, something to that effect. Dave Spano called it a shotgun wedding. Perfect, yeah. yeah. You look at Deutsche Bank, you even look at certain domestic banks, and the CDS is trending higher. 
And it, it, it's weak because we don't know if it will just be the market trying to hedge out risk that doesn't exist or if it's going to be potentially systemic. But it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, and I think this gets back to the Fed. I mean, they hiked rates as fast as they did, and now we're finally starting to see those ramifications. And they might have gone past where they should have as far as how much they hiked, but we're finally seeing what they did come through. And now we're dealing with what happened or what has happened and the ramifications of that. Well, monetary policy acts with a long and variable lag, unless you ask Neil Kashgari last year, in in which case he would say, well, there's other economic research that indicates that might not be the case. So Kashgari batten zero. With that, the money market, we're seeing just, and we've talked about it as as an opportunity, but fund flows out of banks, out of deposits, into money markets, and it's almost a one-for-one, just about, that we've seen outflows from deposits into mining market funds, which is a direct liquidity drain and balance sheet reduction to to banks, which is not a healthy move. So, well, I, this is I think this is a great place to transition to opportunities, just because when we look at money market mutual funds now, they're probably yielding almost five percent with the latest Fed hike, and we've been out there acting as fiduciaries to our clients, suggesting for well over six months, that you're getting paid a lot by transferring money to bank deposits to those money market mutual funds. And it seems like the rest of the world at the start of this year, once you really crossed over the 4% threshold, caught on because there was a massive movement out of bank deposits and into those money market mutual funds. Yeah. And I mean, going forward, it it creates liquidity for for an investor. If you're having money sitting in the money market, they're usually next day liquid. So you can essentially get out of that, earn earn a higher rate right now, and then move into whatever investment opportunity you see going forward. So it's a, a good place to be if you're looking to hold cash and actually get compensated to hold cash. And you're b- being directly benefited from the Fed hiking cycle. So now what you're starting to see priced in is the fact that there will be a pause. And historically, a pause has, tr- has been accompanied by a, a rally in stocks, despite market valuation still being relatively high. But if you were to really look down in the market, the bottom 450 names in the S&P 500 are actually one standard deviation cheaper than where they historically trade. This is a reminder, we're we're flagging it as an opportunity, but pauses are ultimately tend to become cuts. And it's at the point that the Fed begins cutting that the, the economy at large has slowed down significantly, and it's going to manifest in a degradation of earnings. And that is accompanied by a sell-off in stocks. So we're right now being effectively given the all clear for a move higher, but you got to really play that nimbly. And I think that gets at selection criteria, what you're looking for, being diligent in your research. And to your point, you know, the top 50 companies having that valuation up there, those might not be the best opportunities. It might be in that bottom 450 companies that if you're if you have a diligent process, you can kind of comb through that and find find the opportunities that make sense. And the risk reward aspects of that might be better down down in those lower 450 at some point. We've been talking at Annex about investing in quality names, and at least on the stock specific side, I had a conversation with our chief investment strategist Todd Voigt. Must have been a couple weeks ago, and I said, "Hey Todd, did you notice that the last four names that got into our portfolios had more cash on their balance sheets than debt?" 
So you think about investing in risk-averse names, it's that type of analysis and going into the company's financial statements, looking at the quality of their business and saying, well, what's my downside risk if I'm wrong? And those type of names, cash balance sheets, are a real source of opportunity in a market like this. Yeah, risk mitigation is a very important part of the, the research process. So as far as who's a buyer going forward, a lot of negative positioning out there, fear and greed indexes down in the 30 range, which is put out by CNN. Uh, it's actually a decent indicator of showing where the sentiment is within the market. Derek Felsky, our CIO, has mentioned that before, but it's it's one that we look at as well. And it's supported by the AAII bull bear index, which also shows extreme bearishness. It's at levels commensurate with the great financial crisis. As far as other opportunities, and this will be the last one for opportunities, is with the dollar weakening, and we've talked about this a few times, is the emerging markets becomes more attractive because you have a weaker dollar. It's something that can be added to um, periodically and kind of building up that position as we go through this this pullback in the economy. And then also gold and supply-constrained commodities. Think of anything that's tied to the new energy, renewed energy, or sustainable energy commodities such as copper. Getting into threats. Fed has lost some credibility here. Some. Keyword. Having to decide between financial stability and inflation is now the, the big de- topic and the big debate is, okay, did the Fed need to hike 25 basis points? Are banks in a position that they can withstand that, given their net interest margin gets compressed once again, given the yield curve that we have? Are they putting us into a recession that is more going to be more severe than it needed to be? Um, so. When we look at the headline announcements out of the failure of regional banks, one of the things that we keep on seeing is this mark-to-market loss that would need to be taken should deposits flee. And the, the, the Fed, the Treasury, the FDIC, they effectively backstop that with a program where you can pledge that as pristine collateral. And it really shores up the risk of if a bank run continues, equity will be ripe, wiped to zero. But it does nothing to alleviate the fact that we're still out here advocating in the opportunity section that you take your deposits out of the bank and put them in money market mutual funds yielding 5%. And you look at what's happening. It's almost like someone got in a car accident and they had this cosmetic injury on their face and the doctors rush in to stitch it. Meanwhile, they've got the steering column through their gut. Yeah. Right? Because the, the risk has been to these banks that deposits flee in search of higher yielding assets, not because the banks themselves are insolvent. It's the opportunity cost. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, you're just going to continue to see money flow into money markets and out of bank deposits, and that's not healthy for the banks who are already having problems with their balance sheets. I mean, you're just, like you said, just making the problem almost worse. So, I mean, they hiked interest rates. They, they increased that opportunity cost. Yeah, it's not good for... The, the bank. So going forward, the profitability there is going to be one, very hard, yes, <laughs> for banks. But then two, these are regionals, by the way. This doesn't extend to the large JP Morgans of the world. Okay, but let's get at that because <laughs> now you're talking about the public markets. And right. what doesn't get talked about and what hasn't really been talked about is the community banks, which make up a huge portion of two, two big sectors that are already feeling some pain. One, commercial real estate. Community banks are a big portion of commercial real estate loans. They make up only 15% of the banking industry, small community banks do, but they make up 30% of all commercial real estate loans. So commercial real estate has already kind of been dragged through the mud to a degree. 
now you're coupling that with community banks only having real one true revenue source, and that's interest income, so net net interest income. Factoring in that commercial real estate and those loans are the values of those have come down given what's going on there. It's not good for community banks. And then on top of that, community banks make up 36% of all small business loans, which is what employs 50% of our labor force, small businesses. So if community banks are having a hard time making new loans because they're having all these deposits flow out of their bank, those small businesses are going to get hurt because credit's going to tighten up there. And commercial real estate is going to have a hard time getting new loans as well because, again, deposits have flowed out of those community banks. So a spot that we don't have a lot of access to from a data standpoint or up-to-date data is those community banks, which make up two big sections of our economy that we are going to have a hard time seeing what's actually going on under under the hood there. So the end implications of this massive tightening in credit that you would expect to see is that the likelihood of a recession is now higher than it was just a couple weeks ago based on what you're seeing in this regional and community bank sector. Yeah, that or, and we've talked about this before, potential stagflation where all of a sudden all these problems do come to the surface and the Fed has to react. They cut rates and now inflation hasn't totally been flushed out of the system and it kind of stagnates at a rate higher than the 2% target. Let's wrap things up. Head around the room with some headlines. Headline strength. Long duration assets have done well. Headline weakness. Financial conditions. What's our headline opportunity? A rally on the Fed pause. And our headline threat. The impact of a bank crisis, it's just introduced a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Blaine Disrude, research analyst. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. Jason Cooper, research analyst. Thank you. Thanks. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.